following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. We're going to do a Mother's Day message, uh, so to speak. This morning we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8, and uh, we're looking forward to, to working our way through this passage, but... Before we get to the passage, a lot of you know that my grandmother passed away just about two weeks ago. It'll be two weeks ago on Tuesday. And she was 96 years old, and we knew that her death was coming soon. And so for the last few weeks, I've spent a lot of time just remembering my grandmother and reflecting on my time with her and as well with my grandfather and just thinking about them. And I loved my grandparents. They they played a, a huge role in my childhood, and uh, James's middle name is Leroy, which was my grandfather's name, and so, and so I've thought a lot about them the last few weeks, and, um, and as a pastor, you know, I have uh, especially been interested to, to think about why were my grandparents so impactful, and my grandmother in particular uh, didn't have a, a big, dynamic personality, you know, she... Uh, she didn't wrestle with us on the floor. She didn't play exciting games. She wasn't one that, that always had this, this big, winsome piece of advice that, that just put everything into, into focus. You know, she didn't have all the, the, the things that, that we generally think of as being the source of profound impact. So, so why did my grandmother have such a huge influence on my childhood? And as I thought about it, it's very clear that, that she had a profound impact for one simple reason, and that is that she loved us dearly. And she expressed that love through her words, through her joy over us, and through the undivided attention that we had whenever we were with our grandparents. And, and she's not alone. Many of you are sitting there right now thinking about uh, that sort of love that you receive from a, a mother or a grandmother, and, and it has profoundly impacted your life. And, um, and, and those people, those ladies that have influenced us, they, they may not be ladies that necessarily had an impressive career. Your, your mom, your grandmother might not have had a broad influence outside of your home or, or a church. She may not have had worldly credentials of success, but, but her passionate love for you and her investment in you made a profound impact. And this morning, I'd like to consider a text which mentions this motherly love, and I'd like to use it to challenge mothers and grandmothers and all of us, so, so no one's getting off the hook today, I challenge all of us about how we can become more impactful servants of Christ who make a difference for God's glory. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-8 through 8 say, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, 
So we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. You probably noticed as we worked our way through that passage that that Paul is reviewing his his testimony and his conduct while he was at at Thessalonica. So so he begins by by rehearsing uh, his his ministry there after he had come from Philippi uh, down to Thessalonica. And the story is told for us in Acts chapter 16 and 17. And and it's possible, it is possible that, that he is saying these words to answer critics who, who were there in the church at Thessalonica and who were charging Paul with ministry based on false motives. A lot of people think that, uh, but, but everything in the book of 1 Thessalonians indicates that, that Paul has a, a very close, very tight relationship with the church at Thessalonica. So, so I doubt that there is some sort of major hostility towards Paul in the church. I think what he is simply doing in this passage is he is using his testimony as an example of a true minister's heart. And in the process, he gives a great challenge to us as church members to to know how we uh, can do a better job of fulfilling our theme this year of of loving one another well in the church. He gives a good challenge to to mothers and grandmothers and, and to all of us about how we can make a spiritual impact in the lives of other people. So I want to give, just give two basic challenges today from this passage. And the first challenge is that spiritual impact demands that I pursue God's glory. Now, first and foremost, if I'm going to make a spiritual impact, I have to pursue God's glory. Now, now of course, if I'm going to make a spiritual impact, then, then I'm also interested in the good of the people I'm serving, right? So I care about them. You know, I, you, my parents, you love your kids and and hopefully you love the people that you minister to in other contexts as well. And, and we want what is best for them. But we always have to remember that, that our best interest always intersects with and ends in the glory of God. Because God is my greatest good. And so I am never loving someone well. If I am loving them in a direction other than towards and through the glory of God, those things are always intertwined. The best path is always a path of faith in and submission to the Savior. So so the best way a mother, a grandmother, or any disciple maker can love someone else is always to drive them to Jesus. But of course, my biggest conflict is not Generally, and, I don't, and never, uh, there's never a conflict between loving God and loving a person. But, but we do at times have a conflict in our hearts between loving God and loving self. And so in verses 3 and 4, Paul says that, that as a result, sometimes our actions are polluted by, by several things. He, he mentions in verses 3 and 4 that, that sometimes our actions, our, our ministry can be corrupted by error, by impurity, 
by way of deceit. And then in verse 4, he also mentions by pleasing people. And all those things are rooted in a desire to pursue self. They're they're rooted in selfish interests. And almost certainly, uh, when, when Paul lists these things here, he is especially thinking of the itinerant philosophers that, that tended to travel throughout the Greek world. And so we don't really have this so much today, but of course the Greeks were very interested in philosophy. And so there were a number of people, a number of men who would travel throughout the Greek world and they would park in a town and they would spend a few days there and they would give speeches. And, and they would come in and, and they would use all sorts of, uh, of flowery, fancy, sophisticated words. They would entertain the crowds and woo the crowds. But, but it wasn't so much about education. It was more about entertainment. And it wasn't about really helping people pursue wisdom. It was about making a dollar. And you can imagine how someone you know, shows up in town. They want to attract a big crowd so that people will, will give to them. How, how if you're putting on a money-making show, well, you're going to naturally resort to the sins that are mentioned there in verses 3 and 4. You know, if the goal is to make a buck... Well, then you don't really have to worry all that much about being careful with the truth or confronting what is wrong. You just say what makes people happy, say what makes them excited, and get them to open their wallets and give to you generously. You know, and sadly, I mean, pastors, churches, all of us at times can be faced with similar temptations. We all want to be liked. I mean, no one wants people to hate them, right? We don't want people to be angry at us, and we all want to be successful. I mean, no pastor wants to preach to an empty room. And no one wants to just give away opportunities for influence because you say something hard that needs to be said. So sometimes the temptation to resort to these four sins is very strong. And you know what? These temptations are even present for mothers. Because parents, parents love their children. And, and, and moms want to have a close relationship with their kids. And, and so sometimes it is very tempting to, to prioritize feeling loved by your kids over really pursuing their best interest. You want them to like you. You want them to keep calling and keep stopping by your house when they're adults. And, and, so, and so what am I going to prioritize? The gospel and truth? Or making sure that my little girl keeps coming home. Those things are very real. And so mothers at times compromise their convictions and they don't say the things that they need to say to their children but because they want to feel loved. And they call it love. But really it's selfishness. And we have to understand that the only way that you can make a true spiritual impact of eternal significance, whether it's with your children, uh, with an evangelistic contact, a disciple, or, or anyone else, is to instead follow Paul's example. Notice what he says at the end of verse 4. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. So my first concern in, in every relationship must be not to keep people happy, to gain their respect, to feel loved or appear successful. No, my first priority has to be to please the Lord. So be faithful to God's word. Drive everyone to the gospel. 
Be clear about sin and righteousness. Be compelling and and be compassionate. And hopefully as you do those things, you, you will have a massive impact on other people and they will love you for it. I hope that's what happens. But, but if God is pleased, then you can rest in Him and you can trust that He is faithful. And, and you can rest assured that, that no matter what the response may be, that you have loved well because our best good always intersects with and ends in the glory of God. So moms... Grandmothers, ladies, all of us, walk with God every day. Live for God's glory. And be transformed by glory, by His glory, and then pour your heart and your soul into raising your children and grandchildren to have the same passion. And God will see even if no one else does. And God will be pleased. Of course, we need to do the same in every context. A true spiritual impact always begins with a zeal to please God and with the certainty that that, that, that the knowledge of God is the greatest gift I can give. There is nothing more precious you can give. And if you get that right, if you get discipleship right, then God will take care of the rest. So, So like Paul, pursue God's glory first and foremost. Please God who examines the hearts. And then the second challenge that Paul gives in verses 5 through 8 is that true spiritual impact demands that you also pursue your brother's good. So so pursue God's glory, but then with that in mind, you also need to pursue the good of the person you are trying to serve. And and so notice that that going on, like verses 3 and 4, verses 5 through 8 also begin with a series of negatives that are directed at the practices of the greedy philosopher. So he says in verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. So, so the first thing he mentions there is flattery. What is flattery? I heard a, heard a preacher say this week, uh, that, that, that gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Whereas flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. And, and flattery is, is so nauseating, right? You ever heard someone flatter another person or even flatter you and you know what they're doing? And, and you're thinking, would you just shut up? Like, like give it straight, man. And, uh, and, yet, and yet it's tempting, it's tempting to all of us, as much as we hate it, to flatter people ourselves. You know, because we want people to like us. And we oftentimes believe that a little flattery, a little manipulation, can get us something back that we really want. But we have to remember that flattery never breeds spiritual impact. Because it's not truthful. It's manipulative. And true love always tells the truth. And then Paul also adds there that that he was never a ministering based on greed, or as well in verse 6, glory from men. Now, now all of us, I think, understand that that those things are sinful, and yet, sadly, we we could tell lots of stories today about pastors and churches in particular that that have been destroyed and, and, and lost their influence because of the desire for greed and glory. And greed and glory are terrible things. And yet, the reality is, is that all of our hearts are pulled towards them. 
Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are all alive in every one of us. And so we have to resist them. Because greed and glory always dull spiritual impact. So parent for the good of your children. Don't ever parent to build an image. You know, don't ever you know, do something with your kids or, or discipline them based on fear of losing an image. Now, always parent based on love and a pursuit of what is truly good for your child. And the same goes for, for every other relationship. Don't minister to add a feather to your cap to say, look, I got another one. No, minister because you love God and you love people. And then as well, uh, the, the fourth sin that Paul mentions here, he says in verse 6 that, that he did not, as an apostle of Christ, assert his authority even though he had the right to do so. Now, now this is an interesting phrase there, assert his authority. The, that, that phrase, the, the Greek phrase there, uh, is, is very close to our idiom to throw your weight around. You ever, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a very picturesque image, right? You know, throwing your weight around, just kind of, you know, you're just throwing your gut around and, you know, someone that's big and brash and, and bullying people. And Paul, and have you ever been around someone who, who who likes to throw their weight around, maybe not literally, but in some other sense. You know, they, they always find a way to let you know that they're the boss or how smart they are or how beautiful they are or, or how privileged you are to have a relationship with them. And it's a terrible way to lead. And if someone is always pulling those kinds of stunts, they might be able to push people around and get the things that they want but I doubt they're having much of a true spiritual impact. So, so Paul's ministry was not characterized by selfishness and manipulation. Now instead, verses 7 and 8 describe three positive characteristics of Paul's ministry that are vital to any genuine spiritual impact. So first of all, he mentions in verse 7 that if you are going to make a genuine spiritual impact, then your ministry must be characterized by gentleness. Now Paul says but we proved to be gentle among you. Now, now I want to mention here that, that depending on which translation you're carrying, there, there are a couple of ways. Uh, well, you might have a translation that, that substitutes the word gentle for the word infant. And that's because there, there's a big textual variant here. And, uh, and it's based on the fact that the Greek word for gentle and the word for infant are spelled very similarly. So, so you can kind of understand how, how a copyist might might miss a, you know, just a letter and, and, and end up with the wrong word. And, um, but fortunately, uh, read either option doesn't significantly change the meaning of the verse. So, so again, verses 5 and 6 mention the fact that itinerant philosophers never came into the town with simple and the sincere purpose of just serving people. I mean, they're there, and they've got all sorts of ulterior, complex motives, you know, underlying desires that they're trying to accomplish for themselves. And so if verse 7 is using the word infant in place of gentle, then the idea would be that Paul came with simple and very sincere desires. You know, like an infant. You know, we've got a newborn, and, and, and little Christian is not capable of complex ulterior motives, right? I mean, he just wants to eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. I mean, that's it. There's no hidden agenda with a newborn. And uh, similarly, Paul says, if the idea here is infant, then the idea would be that a faithful minister 
has a simple purpose. His passion is to honor the Lord by pointing people to the hope of the gospel. But, but I think, though, that, that the NASB gets it right here by using the word gentle uh, based on both uh, the textual evidence for that and as well how it fits the context. So, so remember that verse 6 says that Paul did not throw his weight around as an apostle. You know, he wasn't always pulling out the apostle card. You know, hey, you know, we're having a potluck. I'm the apostle, I get to go first. Or, you know, hey, we're picking this thing out. I'm the apostle, you know, let me, you know, have my say. He didn't do that. You know, he didn't minister with a sense of entitlement, and he didn't bully people into paying him generously, heaping praise on him, or, or bending to his every wish. You know, and as well, and I think this is especially what he has in mind here, Paul didn't bully people into godliness. Now, now Paul was always bold with the truth, Right? So, so he always said what needed to be said, and he said it as strongly as it needed to be said, and he always held up the gospel as the one and only true way of salvation. So Paul was not gentle in the sense of being soft with the truth, or not saying things as strongly as they needed to be said. Because if I'm not clear about things that matter, I'm not actually being truthful right? I'm not communicating. You, you can say the right thing and say it in such a way that, that you are not communicating the force with which it needs to be said. So Paul did not do that. Paul was always bold. And yet his point here, I believe, is that he was more concerned about heart change than just simply about dominating and bullying people into external conformity. You, know, you don't produce heart change by, by bullying and emotional manipulation. No, rather, you speak the truth directly, you let, you let the truth speak, and then you have to step back and you have to leave room for God's Word and the Holy Spirit to do what they alone are able to do. Now, that's not always an easy thing to do, is it? I mean, do parents ever you know, get on the phone with their adult children or any age and think, you know, by golly, I'm not getting off the phone until my kid says he will do X. You know, do we ever, you know, pressure kids into accepting the gospel before they really understand it? Or I am going to get my kid to embrace this conviction no matter what? Of course we're tempted to do those things. You know, pastors as well bully people into certain beliefs and practices all the time while, while bypassing the heart. But true spiritual impact demands a balance of boldness and gentleness. And the only way that you're going to achieve that balance is through a thoughtful approach. You know, so what battles do I need to fight today? And what battles should wait for another day? And, and when I do fight, how do I best address the heart and not just get my kid to nod his head and do the thing that I want him to do, or, or the disciple, or whoever else it might be. And generally, you know, we get to the heart the quickest when our ministry is bathed in prayer, and when you are careful that, that you approach the situation with a heart that is right with God. Now, from there, if, if you want to make a genuine heart impact, I think it's always helpful to keep your arguments and to keep your authority and power rooted in this book, Right? 
Because if you're pressuring people based on your arguments and your logic and your intelligence, then it really becomes an argument about you. You want to keep the argument here. Because the goal is to produce brokenness and, and submission to this book. I think as well, it's always helpful to, to, to frame conversations with questions as opposed to accusations. Because accusations make us defensive, whereas questions just naturally cause us to reflect on our hearts and, and to think at a deep level. So folks, that's how Paul ministered. He was a man of gentle strength. The Bible calls that meekness. So he was, on the one hand, bold and strong. But he also trusted God's Word and the Holy Spirit to do what he could never do. And as a result, Paul gave off an aroma of gentleness that endeared him to the Thessalonians. Here's the Apostle Paul showing up in town. And yet... He's not walking around like, hey, did you forget that I'm the Apostle Paul? Hey, I want to introduce myself as the Apostle Paul. No, he had a gentleness about his ministry that was endearing, but it also gave him the window and the opportunity to have genuine spiritual impact. So gentleness. And then the second characteristic of Paul's ministry was compassion. Compassion. And so going on in verse 7, he says, that, that we prove to be gentle among you, notice, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Of course, this statement is the statement that, that drew me to this passage for Mother's Day. And, and we can all understand this picture, I, I think. And of course, I've had the opportunity just this week uh, to, to, to watch my wife display and live uh, what this verse is saying. And, and it's a really precious image that, that is dear to all of us. And, and it's rooted in the fact that infants are small and fragile, right? You know, I mean, you have a new baby. You know, people walk up and look at your new baby for the very first time, and like half of them say, he's so little, right? And it just impresses us right away when you see a newborn how small they are and, and how fragile they are. You know, they can't do anything for themselves. They can't even get a burp out of their stomach by themselves, you have to do everything for them. So, so caring for an infant is a 24-hour day, exhausting and sometimes disgusting and frustrating job. It's not always romantic. And yet God has wired mothers to tenderly care for infant children. They love them, they feed them, they clean them, they protect them. It's not always a fairy tale of happiness and joy and sunshine. But because they love their children, they continue to provide that precious, tender care. And of course, that, that tender care, uh, preserving care, continues well past infancy. You know, it's just it's hardwired in, into, in, into ladies. And I, you know, I, mean, I think of my, my grandmother. My grandmother was showing me that kind of care uh, when I was a kid. You know, and just this Christmas, at, at 96 years old, I mean, she's still wanting to show that kind of motherly tender care to my children. And as simple as that might seem, that compassion, that motherly compassion is profoundly impactful. I see it all the time in our house. You know, one of the kids is hurt or, or they're upset about something. And, you know, I think, all right, I am going to be super daddy here and I'm going to love them and, and care for them and give them a hug. 
And what do they do? Mom! They don't want me. They want me to get out of the way and go find mom. You know, and so no matter how hard I try, I cannot replace mom in their heart. You know, there's something about a mother's care that, that most of us guys, we just don't have it. Now, our Lord has uniquely equipped mothers with, with a force of influence that plays a vital, powerful role in their development. Now, of course, as always, we, we have to be careful not to press these illustrations too far. So, so we shouldn't think of Paul you know, as, as sitting on a chair and he's got grown men in his lap and, and he is like tenderly caring for them. And I'm sure you don't want me to do that for you either, all right? And I don't want to do that either. That'd be a little weird. But what Paul says in a sense that spiritual impact demands this kind of tender care. And I believe that's because spiritual growth is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's more about perseverance than it is about crisis. And spiritual growth involves some tremendous highs, but it also involves some deep lows. And long-term ministry requires that we must at times, yes, be forceful and direct, but but much of the time, long-term discipleship requires that we be like a nursing mother who tenderly cares for a fragile disciple. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, we looked at it several weeks ago. Paul challenges us to encourage the faint-hearted and to help the weak. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says that, that ministry requires that we rejoice with those who rejoice. And at other times, we have to be ready to weep with those who weep. Now, now that might sound really simple. Yeah, show motherly love, be compassionate. But, but sometimes it's a real struggle, right? I mean, parents and, and disciple makers, I mean, we all at times get, get tempted to, to be impatient with, with people's failures or, or their constant neediness. You know, some people are overwhelmed by, by the smallest things, and, and it's a struggle to patiently sympathize with certain people. And then other people, you know, they're enduring real pain and, and real hardship. And, um, and ministering to them can be really intimidating because you don't want to say the wrong thing and you want to say the perfect thing to fix it. And so sometimes it's a whole lot easier to say nothing at all and to just go hide in the corner than it is to try and, and give someone the compassion and the care that they need in a very difficult situation. Now, now you might say, well, well, pastor, I'm just not wired for gentle care. And, and, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not. I'm not at all. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm more wired to just you know, suck it up and get it done. Be tough. Be gritty. You know? It's like devastating to me as a parent when my, when my boys are, are wimps. You know, it's like, stop being a wimp. You know, as well, I mean, do you think Paul was naturally wired to act like a nursing mother tenderly caring for children? And Paul was a gruff, tough guy. He was bold. He was courageous. He was strong. I mean, I don't imagine Paul as some effeminate Mother Hubbard. No, he was a tough guy. And yet he understood that discipleship requires doing more than just barking like a football coach. The people need tender care. 
And that's especially so if you are going to maintain long-term ministry with people. So, so don't discount the significance of motherly love. Moms, grandmothers in the room, your gentle compassion is making a difference. And it's not just making a difference in your own home. You are making a profound difference in the lives of, of many children in this church. So keep loving and don't ever get so busy with life that you lose that power of influence. And guys, if someone like Paul could learn to show gentle, tender care, then you can learn to do it too. And first and foremost, make sure that you're giving that sort of love and care to your family, to your wife and to your children, and then learn to show it to the people around you in this church because because compassion is vital to spiritual impact and to us truly loving one another as a church. So, so be compassionate. And then the third a characteristic of, of, of impactful ministry is sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. So notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So, so notice there that, that Paul continues the theme of compassion from verse 7. So, so he says that we have a fond affection for you. And as well, he says at the end of the verse that you had become very dear to us. I like how he builds on this in verses 19 and 20. He says in verse 19, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. And Paul loved this church. And that love inspired Paul to give to them generously. So, so first of all, he says in verse 8 that he was eager to impart to them the gospel of God. So don't ever forget that the gospel is the greatest gift that you can give to anyone. There is nothing more precious in the world than the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things that parents want to give their children. And there's many practical ways that, that we can serve people in the church. But folks, the gospel is on a level all of its own. So don't ever neglect it, and don't ever let anything else take its place. And Paul was so committed to sharing the gospel that verse 8 says he was also willing to give his own life to the Thessalonians to bring the gospel to them. And that statement testifies both to Paul's love for the gospel, but also his love for the Thessalonians. And both of them were worth dying for. And, and for Paul, that wasn't just a cute little thing to say. Because, because remember that, that Acts 17 tells a story about when Paul planned the Thessalonian church. He showed up in town, he began to preach the gospel, People began to get saved, and then the Jews in town got really angry. And Acts 17 says that they stirred up a mob, and they wanted to grab Paul, but they couldn't find him. And so they grabbed this man, Jason, from the church, and several other people. And Acts 17 indicates that, that, that they probably would have seriously hurt these people, or even killed them, had it not been for the fact that, that the city officials you know, told them to cool it. And, and, and help them to calm down. You know, if they would have had the opportunity, I mean, they would have, would have seriously hurt Paul or seriously injured him. 
Now, that sort of thing will get your attention, right? I mean, that was a serious, serious time, but, 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 but Paul says here that it didn't dissuade him. No, the gospel and the Thessalonians were worth more to him than his own life. And he was ready, if necessary, to give his life to bring the gospel to these people. Yeah, and that's a reminder to us that true spiritual impact rarely fits into a neat, tidy slice of your planner. Like, I've got these many things going on, and I'll do ministry when it fits in this box. I mean, parents know it doesn't work that way, right? Like, like your kids don't get sick when, when you've got everything lined up and it's the perfect time for your kid to get sick. And, and they don't come to you with, with major spiritual questions and major issues of life when, when you've got an abundance of time. Sometimes it happens late at night, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes when you're extremely busy. And it's the same in, in all types of ministry. You know, that... that that, that being faithful and making a difference in people's life is, is oftentimes it's generally exhausting, dirty, and, and oftentimes inconvenient. But you get up early, you go to bed late, we bear heavy burdens for people, and we make hard sacrifices because the gospel matters. And because people matter too. Now, of course, you, you, have to be, you need to build you know, wise protections around your time and your family, certainly, and because... Because a burned-out minister is, is no good to anyone. But I think, generally speaking, our biggest problem is not that we love too much. It's that we're lazy and we're selfish. And if you want to make a spiritual impact, then joyfully embrace the opportunity to pour yourself out because you love people and because you love the gospel. So, so in conclusion... We should all give thanks today for, for loving mothers who deeply love and give sacrificially. They make a profound difference in our lives. So moms and grandmothers, ladies, keep going. You know, it might feel at times like you are accomplishing nothing at all. Now, some of you who are older, you know, you might look at your, your adult children or grandchildren and think, man, Things did not turn out the way I thought they were going to. What did I do wrong? And, and, and keep going because, because you're making an impact whether you recognize it or not. And if God is pleased and you are faithful, then His pleasure means more than anything else. And then let's all exude that same kind of love to those around us. Now, care about people. Listen patiently to their burdens. Rejoice in their blessings and weep over their sorrows. And above everything else, point them to the hope of the gospel and the truth of Christ. Because every one of us can make a spiritual impact by simply loving people like Christ and pointing them to the hope of the gospel in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you especially for the example of Christ. Who, who gave everything so that we might be saved. And Father, I pray uh, that, that, Lord, you would encourage and strengthen all of, of, the, of our ladies here in the church as they serve and as they seek to make an impact on those around them. And Lord, I pray for all of us that, God, we would not grow weary in the ministry, but that we would faithfully and continually 
pour ourselves out to make a difference in the lives of others because we love them and we especially love Christ and want to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would broaden and increase and multiply our impact for your glory and that, Lord, you would do wonderful things through us, that you would be praised in Jesus' name. Amen.